Has it ever occurred to you just how incredible grapes are? Now think about it. That little box of raisins your mother packed in your lunch bag was the only fruit that qualified as a dessert. And consider this. When we hear juicy gossip, we say we heard it through the grapevine. We didn't hear it through the apple tree or the berry bush. Grapes are so darn special that the grocery store expects us to snitch a few to ensure quality control. Try doing that with a banana or a pineapple. Admit it, every encounter you've ever had with grapes has been positive. That's why we created Grape Encounters, a place for adults to hang out and focus on the paramount achievement of grapedom. Delicious, irresistible wine. Wine brings people together. It starts conversations. It makes us happy. In fact, wherever there are grapes, there's gorgeous scenery, very cool people, and plenty of laughter. All that being said, let's bring out your guide for this journey. The Wizard of Wine, the Gangster of Grape, David Wilson. Holy smoke, am I a lightweight or what? I don't know what's going on with me. I am so incredibly tired. And it's all because I needed to make my first journey back to the United States after living in Italy for my first three months on the east side of the country in historic Atri, which is literally like two and a half hours east of Rome, Rome on the west side, Atri in Abruzzo on the east side. And so it's been really fun, but eventually you got to go tie up loose ends. You don't really get to just move to another country because there's always going to be stuff you're going to have to wrap up and it never really, I think, completely goes away. So I had planned that I would be in Italy for three months and then I'd take a journey back to the U.S. And that's what I did. And so my friend Joe, who's actually Norwegian, but he's married to a wonderful Italian wife. He was kind enough to drive me from the east side to the west side. And he dropped me off in the evening at the Rome airport. And then I hopped on a plane and then went to Istanbul. And I know that, that sounds kind of weird, right? Because... Why was I going to Istanbul? Because I like to fly Turkish Airlines. They're like the number two rated airline in the world. But I don't want to really get into the details other than to say that if you're going to fly Turkish Airlines, chances are you're going to have to overnight in Istanbul and then you can get on a plane the next morning or whatever and head to your final destination, which in my case was Los Angeles. Except uh, things got a little complicated because when I tried to get on my plane the next morning, they only had two people working the Turkish airline counter. And despite the fact that I was there well in advance of my flight, an hour and a half, and I stayed at a hotel literally inside the airport, inside the terminal building, I stayed at this super nice hotel, but there weren't enough people working the counter. And by the time I got to the front, they were no longer taking passengers. And guess what? My favorite airline, Turkish Air Airlines said, sorry, Mr. Wilson, but you're not getting on this flight. And to make matters worse, you're going to have to buy a ticket on a different flight. Like, it's not even my fault, right? But now I got to buy a ticket. Uh, what a mess it was. And so I won't uh, get into 
too much of the details here. I'm still kind of steaming over it. But long story short, I did get on a later flight and I flew to Los Angeles. And I was so dog tired, honestly, because I couldn't sleep the night before because I was so worried that I was going to miss my flight to begin with. And so I got no sleep and I'm sitting on the plane and I, you know, I've got a beverage in my hand. No, it wasn't wine, okay? And I'm just like falling asleep and I'm spilling one beverage after another down the front of my shirt and dropping my phone on the floor underneath my seat and I go to try to find my phone and then I kind of kept bumping into the seat in front of me and this woman's getting upset at me. She asked me please to stop doing that and anyway, it was kind of a mess. But uh, eventually I got to Los Angeles. Now, I get picked up by my friend Alfred and I've taught Alfred an awful lot about wine, but apparently not enough because Alfred is now mad at me. So he lives in Los Angeles and I decided to stay a couple of days in Los Angeles with Alfred. And Alfred says, David, go and pick out any bottle of wine you want from the wine cellar. He's got a little small wine cellar. And in that wine cellar, he has a bunch of wines that I chose for him, like literally ages ago, some of them 15 years ago. But I was shocked to see the wine down there because they should have been consumed a long time ago, right? But Alfred apparently didn't know that. And so when I discovered some of my favorite wines down there that I knew weren't going to be good to drink, and I said, Alfred, this is worrying me because you've got, for instance, this Sarlos and Sons, Perberhart, wonderful red wine, one of my favorites, but well past its prime. I opened it up. I knew what I was going to find, a wine that turn. And it had, I mean, it was drinkable, kind of, sort of, but really not. All right. And so one bottle after another of wines that I was familiar with, that I had turned him onto, that he didn't bother to drink. They just weren't any good anymore. And some of these were kind of expensive wines, right? And so he's starting to get a little upset with me. And he's saying, well, David, why didn't you tell me that these wines wouldn't last forever? And I'm like, well, you know, you're a grown man. You should know that. And he says, well, you know, I've seen it in the movies. You know, people lay down wine for a hundred years, right? Well, no, that's the problem. So anyway, uh, he got on my case about this and he said, I don't know what you're going to be doing on this week's radio show, but I think you ought to advise people that they got to be careful or they're going to just lose a whole lot of money because of guys like you who turn us on to wines that just aren't going to last. And so, you know, it really kind of boils down to this. These days, wines are made to consume almost immediately. And this notion of, you know, having a cellar full of wines that will last forever, that's like history, right? Yes, there are wines that you can do that with. But I think that if you're wanting to do that, then you need to specifically ask the person who's selling you the wine whether or not you can do that because for the most part wines as i just said are meant to be consumed pretty close after the time that you purchase the wine and that's just it now listen th there are wines certain wines like cabernet sauvignon that are going to last a, a long time they are very resilient and depending upon which ones you buy they they could last you for uh, decades but uh, some of them will not it just depends on how they're created merlot is a great wine that will last a long time if you buy the right Merlot. Mouvedre 
It is one of my favorite varietals, a varietal that not as many people know about, but it's a high tannin wine. And, you know, if it's thick and viscous and it's got high tannins, then chances are it's going to serve you well and you can keep it in your cellar for a really long time. A couple that I would really point you to, Tempranillo, Sangiovese, Nebbiolo. These are all wines that will hold up for a really long time. If the wine is very tannic, the chances are it's got a better chance of sticking around for a really long time. But I really do think the best thing that you can do is to get yourself in bed, not literally, but get yourself in bed with a wine purveyor who understands which wines will age for a really long time. And if they know what they're doing and they've got a good reputation, take their advice. But don't be all mad at people like me for pointing you toward really good wines. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're upset because they didn't last for 20 years. I mean, you got to think about why you're aging the wines to begin with. You know, there are definitely wines that will improve with age, but that's not what it's all about, okay? The number of wines that will actually age well and will still stick around for a long time and actually get better, that's a small crop of wines, really. And so think about why you're doing it. If you're going to be a collector and you're going to, you know, go after those kinds of wines, then for goodness sakes, plan on spending a bunch of money, uh, do your homework, don't assume that everything is going to last a really long time and you're going to be happy. But don't you dare blame it on me because it's not my fault. And Alfred, you suggested that I address this issue, and so I'm addressing it here and now, and that's all I'm going to say about it, okay? we got to move on to some other things. For the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be getting into something that's super interesting. It's a topic that we started a couple of months ago, but now I get to deal with it in a very different way, and I'm so excited to further our relationship with Katarina Axelson of Tastry Laboratories, what she's doing is so ultra hyper cool. I I just can't believe I get the opportunity to work with her side by side on a project and an experiment. So we'll talk about that in just a second as we set that story up when we return with Grape Encounters Radio. Thanks for being with me here and um, thanks for putting up with my drowsiness. We'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We offer something for everyone. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to offer free wine. That's what your friends are for. At MM Organics, we're surrounded by health nuts. That's because we're obsessed with lowering blood pressure, cholesterol, and the risk of cancer. We want to make weight loss easier and help you strengthen everything from your heart to your teeth, nails, and hair. Full disclosure, those health nuts are actually dry-farmed heirloom certified organic raw walnuts. Rich with essential vitamins and nutrients, they're vastly superior to other nuts. Imagine, walnuts can actually lower stress and boost your brain power. No wonder MM Organics customers are so darn smart. MMorganics.com is where you'll find our uniquely irresistible raw walnuts, walnut butter, oil and flour, sprouted flavored walnuts, and decadent fair trade chocolate covered walnuts, which pair beautifully with our legendary two-horse port style wine. MMorganics.com 
eating any other nuts is just plain nuts. And this edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. One of the absolute best ways I'm able to discover the latest and greatest Cabernet, Chardonnay, or artisan spirit is to go exploring at Total Wine and More. A whole lot more. Like the smile of an expert eager to help you find a new favorite. And the confidence of knowing there's something special everywhere you look. Plus, the freedom to discover a mind-blowing selection at totally low prices online at TotalWine.com. Where you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. Back with Grape Encounters Radio, and it is nice to be back in our old stomping grounds. Well, I'm not quite there yet. I'm just about 300 miles away from home. And you might recall that we did a segment months ago where we had Katarina Axelson on from Tastry. And we had a great time talking about what her company is doing. And she promised that if I ever came back to the States, that she would give me the nickel tour of their facility. And let me just start by saying, Katerina, welcome to the show. I'm back, kind of. You're back. Thanks for having me back. Looking forward to what's to come. It's good to hear you again. (laughs) Well, I want to spend a couple of minutes with you because I'm going to be on the Central Coast actually tonight night and literally in a matter of minutes i'm rushing to the train station and i'm going to be headed that direction so i'll be in the paso robles san luis obispo area before you know it but let's talk a bit about tastry we actually re-ran that show because i thought it was just so incredibly interesting and we'll tell people what we're up to we're gonna do an experiment together actually for me it's an experiment for you it's just an everyday thing but just give everybody a rundown about what Tastry is, what you're doing, how long you've been doing it, and then we'll jump in from there. So I'm the founder of Tastry. In short, we like to say we taught a computer how to taste. We spent over five years building a technology that allows us to test the chemistry of a wine or another sensory-based product and predict how a consumer will perceive that product without any prior knowledge. We do a lot of things with the data, but that's the short version of it. So how do you get the computer to swallow the wine, though? Now, I I can tell you that I have dumped more wine into my (laughs) keyboard. You know, over the years, my computer just blanks out when I do that. When you say that you get a computer to taste wine, what does that really mean? Yeah. Um, that I, I would say that's a that's a fanciful description. It just means we used high-end analytical chemistry equipment, developed a methodology for it to look at the chemistry the same way the human palate would. So we're really loading samples into a machine. That machine is exporting data, and then we use AI to make sense of that data. So not as romantic as the we taught a computer how to taste description. <laughs> so let me see if I really understand this. Different compounds, different chemicals different ingredients in wine make it taste the way it tastes, right? And then I guess combinations of those things as well. So there's got to be just a ton of data that is in your system. What's that really look like? I mean, it must be just amazing. Well, it, it is overwhelming. We look at, you know, compounds down to the ion count so we can tell you exactly how many 
molecules are of a specific compound, but really it's just a spreadsheet with a bunch of numbers and columns. It's also interesting because depending on the quantity or concentration of any one of those variables, the expression of the other ones gets affected because they're interrelated. There's a matrix effect and relationship there going on. And that's where we really use the AI to make sense of all of that. So does that mean that if you make an adjustment in one compound, then everything else is affected? And, you know, That's right. There's a game where you pull pieces of wood out and then everything kind of settles and changes. And so you pull one out and the, the structure just keeps changing and changing. So even though a compound in wine might seem insignificant, its absence or its presence can make a huge difference because of the way that it interacts with other compounds. Does that sound right? Am I yeah. close? That's right. Can I wear a white jacket now? <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So here's what we proposed to do when you and I spoke last. I was in Italy and you were in, well, your office is in San Luis Obispo, right? That's, that's where our lab is. Yeah. Okay. So we were talking about some consulting work that I'm doing in Italy with a brand called Venum Hadrianum. So what's interesting about the project that I'm consulting on is that they want to understand better how they can bring their wine to the American market. But since the varietals are quite different than varietals that are typically consumed in, let's say, California, it's hard to predict exactly where you're going to get the best acceptance. I mean, you can you can take a educated guess. But with your system, a company like Vina Madriana or any other producer for that matter, they don't have to be a foreign producer, will have a really good idea, right? After your analysis of where they're going to find consumers that love this kind of a product. It could be as simple as, wow, this is a close fit to consumers who drink petite Syrah. Is that about right? It is. It's more than that, though. So we, yeah. we don't have to have any historical data to simulate or understand where the customers are. But we can break it down, you know, on a store, local, regional level, depending on where we already have customer data. Yeah, on a very granular level, identified the competitive advantage of that particular line. And we don't need to look at the history, as I mentioned. So it's a lot faster and better and cheaper. How do you do that? If yeah. you're not basing it on history, then how do you know who's going to love a particular wine if you're right. not using history? as the foundation for analyzing that product? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So we're both an AI and a chemistry company, right? And what AI is really good at doing with the right data is making predictions. So we're able to do this because of the quality of the data. That one piece of the data is the chemistry of the wine that we gathered. We test tens of thousands of wines a year, right? So we have that database. The second proprietary database we have is on the palates of consumers. I'll, I'll try to explain this simply because our product does a lot of things. But the first thing we ever did was sell Tastry as a wine recommender in grocery retail. And whenever we would provide a recommendation, we would capture consumer 
preference data, not to mention we're pouring thousands of wines to thousands of people blind every year at our offices. So we have that data. So what happens is because of these two data sets, we're able to test the chemistry of any new wine, any wine we haven't seen. And it's going to look at all the powers, all the chemistry, and it's going to run that data against what we call the virtual focus group, these consumers that we already have data on and predict what the outcome will be to the general population. I'm not going to say, for example, Pinot was the best selling varietal in 2020, therefore I should make a Pinot. What we can say is this particular wine is going to be matching to the top 25% of consumers in you know, Northern Washington. Okay. Yeah. Let's hold that thought for a second. got to take a break. We're talking to Katerina Axelson. Her company is Tastry. And by the way, if you just Google Tastry, T-A-S-T-R-Y or Katerina Axelson or both, you will find an amazing amount of press that's uh, already been written about her. She is making headlines everywhere. And I'm talking about in the biggest magazines in the world. Uh, what she's got going on uh, goes way beyond wine too. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But we're going to get a front row seat with her taking a look at a product that I've brought all the way from Italy. We'll do that. I think next week we're going to do that. But in the meantime, we're going to take a break here and we'll be back in just a sec with more Grape Encounters. Smoke from increasing wildfires is tainting wine grapes and vineyard executives are looking for new ways to adapt. Pure Fresh Wines O3 technology helps vineyards overcome the problems caused by wildfire smoke by treating grapes pre-crush to improve fermentation and overall wine quality, as well as removing smoke taint. For the typical winery, saving a full harvest of grapes with Pure Fresh wine costs only 10 cents per bottle. O3 technology has been approved by the FDA and USDA. It leaves no residue and uses no chemicals. It provides many benefits to wineries, including the removal of sulfur, pesticides, and fungicides pre-crush, the reduction of bad bacteria and mold issues, an improvement in roundness and fruit-forward palate notes, and so much more. Most importantly, it safely and naturally breaks down smoke taint molecules to save grapes from damage. Rescue your harvest from smoke taint. Visit purefreshwine.com today. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or artisan spirit at Total Wine & More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the friendly smile of an expert guide, ready to help you find that perfect bottle. And the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. Explore the wondrous selection and totally low prices at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. This edition of Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine and More. When you discover a new favorite bottle of Chardonnay, sparkling wine, or craft spirit at Total Wine and More, you'll discover a whole lot more. Like the confidence of knowing you just found something really special. So explore the wondrous selection at TotalWine.com, where you'll find what you love and love what you find. Please drink responsibly. Be 21. back with Grape Encounters Radio and back in the United States after being away for three months. We will be going back to Italy soon, but we're going to do some work here. One of the things that I was most excited about doing upon returning to the States 
was to have the opportunity to sit down with Katerina Axelson of Tastry. You will remember we did a really terrific show with her a couple of months back. And then I re-ran it last weekend because I just... I, I was so shocked at how many people downloaded that show. Forget the radio audience, but the number of people who downloaded was just stunning. And so, Katerina, at least as far as Grape Encounters is concerned, you're like a big superstar here. And thanks for jumping on with me again. And we're going to talk about what we're going to do together here next week. So, are you busy right now? Are like really busy? Well, I'm always busy. And if I'm not <laughs> busy, I'll find a way to be busy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. How in the world did you get into what you're doing? And was there something else that you were thinking about doing? And then you changed gears and went a, a different direction. Well, you went to Cal Poly. What was the yeah. what was the original intent? Well, so I was going to be a scientist. I studied chemistry. I was going to pursue a master's in bioinformatics, and I, you know, I, I paid my way through college by working in the wine industry, various roles. But I was given a lot of freedom to run experiments and act yeah. like, you know, a mad scientist. And I came up with some inventions, and Tastry was one of those inventions. And there was some luck involved there, and it just became this enormous opportunity. And I had to stop my original path, stop what I was doing and, and, and pursue tastry. Um, so, so definitely not part of the plan. So what was the aha moment for tastry? What were you doing when you suddenly said, Oh my gosh, I have an idea. It, it was a combination of so many little things, but if I had to boil it down to one, I think I observed a lot of winemaking practices in the wine industry, you know, during my time there. And, I kept thinking in the back of my head, well, I think this can be done more efficiently or why is it done this way? And then I would look for the answer and it wasn't a very good answer. And then I just kind of combined all those little perceptions and came to the conclusion that chemistry and how people perceive chemistry can be objectified and that maybe this isn't so subjective and maybe it can take the romance out of it as a scientist and understand exactly why, you know, things are happening, why we're perceiving things. And I didn't know that my experiment would turn out to be correct. It was just a hypothesis. And it took years to validate it with sensory experts and PhDs and, and all that. But that's how, that's how it started. Okay, so I was thinking about this the other day. And in fact, in general, in life today, I sometimes feel like we're getting too technical and technology is really complicating our lives. It was always meant to simplify our lives and make things easier. But now, you know, it's like when you sit down and you just try to do something on your cell phone, as an example, like it can frustrate you. You can, you can sit there for hours trying to figure out something. And I kind of, in a way, missed the days when I just punched the buttons and somebody on the other end said, hey, and I am feeling that way with a lot of things. Do you ever worry that in the wine industry, the focus on science and technology and doing a lot of really microscopic things to make wine better may be sucking some of the romance out of it? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I 
do, but I would say, you know, there's a lot of romance and churning butter, right? And okay. you, can definitely, you can go, you can do that, right? There's a lot of romance in doing, you know, freehand math. We use calculators. I see this as something that simplifies or gives you visibility on, on things to help you make better decisions. That's the way I see this. And I would say the wine industry is nowhere close to being a open-minded adopter of technology. I, I don't think we're anywhere close. And I think it would be a huge benefit to have the confidence to make more interesting wines, right? Because at the end yeah. of the day, it's a business. It's a business, And the more you grow, the more important it is to maintain your customer base, grow your customer base, right? But what happens is, is you find something that works, it might not be the best product, but you don't, you don't want to kill the golden goose. So you kind of get stagnant and stale over time. But if, if there's something out there like Tastry that can tell you, actually, the winemaker can explore their desire to be more creative and it's safe and there is a market for it. I think that leads to a better outcome for everyone. So yeah, of course, there's always downsides to technology, but I, I think <laughs> there's a lot of upsides as well. Well, I, I, I just wonder sometimes now whether we have to... F- finally conclude that there's no such thing as best anymore. Mm. Uh, you know, because every time we think that we hit that spot where it's like, how could this possibly taste any better or be any better or perform any better? And then we conquer that and we move on to the next plateau and the next plateau. And actually, you know, when you look back in history and look at everything that we've accomplished, I got to think that literally thousands of times people have said, okay, this is the best it's going to be, only for it to be bested the next time, which is actually kind of exciting because if you think about, you know, drinking a great Cabernet Sauvignon right now and imagine what it must be like in the future to drink one that's 20% better. It's like, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I've had some wines where I I would just say, wow, I don't want this to be any better. You know, it's just amazing. So Katarina, you you mentioned something about churning butter and, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's pretty romantic. You got that wooden container and the pole that goes in it and you sit there and you go up and down and up and down pretty soon you got butter and that's pretty cool but then on the other hand i was watching a video the other day of these this equipment they attach to cows to milk them automatically and (laughs) have you have you seen that it's like i'm serious man they get all these cows are hooked up they got i mean it's utterly amazing is that a pun intended that was a pun intended and i'm like wow man they're taking all the romance out of milk (laughs) it's just just absolutely crazy nuts Anyway, so, uh, hey, by the way, have you ever churned butter? Uh, actually, no. I have to add that to my list of things to do. Okay, well, if you ever have any spare time and you want to churn butter, I'll find the cow and the churn, and we'll just, like, do it. It'll be get, a, get a workout in. That's we, can, we can invite all of our friends. We are talking to Katarina Axelson. She's, like, one of my favorite people on Earth. We've never actually met in person, but what she's doing is so incredibly cool. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to sound like I'm against technology because you know the better the wine can be the happier i'm gonna be you know i can't even imagine what it's like to be in katarina's position where 
she's created a technology that has so many implications that can be used for so many different purposes. And it's easy for me to sit here and with a very limited amount of knowledge about what she's doing, make some generalized conclusions about what is the highest and best purpose for tastry. And, you know, what are the various different things that this technology can be used for? On one hand, I sit here and I say, well, you know, sometimes technology freaks me out because it sometimes doesn't always lead to the best conclusion, to the best eventuality. But then, you know, the incredible benefits that it can bring to us are amazing too. Because as I just said a moment ago, there are times where I enjoy something and I say to myself, gosh, you know, I don't even want this to be any better. And, you know, there are some really interesting examples of that, some iconic things that we enjoy in life that are so basic and they are so simple. And you ask yourself, do I really even want to change this? Like, here's a really good example. I got into a discussion, a heated discussion about, of all things, the McDonald's cheeseburger. And it's like the cheesiest thing that there is in the world. It's on this little squidgy little bun and it's this little tiny little patty and it's got these onions that are sort of barely there and a piece of what is it american cheese i mean it's so basic it is so simple there's nothing amazing about it and yet when you're having a bad day there are very few things that are more satisfying and so what is so super cool about what katarina is doing is to help us to understand why we love what we love because the reality is for most of us we don't even know and if Katarina and her technology can open up our minds to understand what that's really all about imagine what an incredibly wonderful world lies ahead we're going to be back in just a second and then you get to take the stand okay all right Something amazing happened to me the other day at Total Wine and More. I found my new favorite Cabernet Sauvignon at a totally low price. As soon as I picked it up, it felt like, aha, I knew it was the one. So go explore their wondrous selection and you'll feel it too. Because at Total Wine and More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. Download the Total Wine app or visit TotalWine.com. But please drink responsibly. Be 21. cannot think of a single person in the wine industry that gets more press than Katerina Axelson. You must have the best PR person in the world, Katerina. How are you getting all these stories? I mean, you're in some of the biggest publications in the world, and the writers who are writing about you are loving it. What's going on with that? Um, 
That's a good question. I'm not sure. I just tell my story and provide the facts and PR is pretty mysterious to me. I'm not quite sure how all that works, but we do have a great team of people who who have taken what we've done and let the world know about it. Well, it's you know, it's what I used to do in my other life and it really kind of boils down to who do you know, but it also boils down to do you have a good story? And when I when I first became aware of your story, I was like, "Oh my gosh." You've got to be kidding. To me, it was the biggest story of the past few years, at least, because the implications for what it will do in the wine industry are amazing. But the implications for what it will do in other industries, including like the food industry, which nobody can escape because everybody eats as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, the implications there, I think, are amazing. But I was just starting to say at the end of the last segment I was talking about technology and sort of, you know, just musing as to whether or not maybe our technology in general is going too far. And I I could feel you wanting to jump in. So what were you going to say? You know, it's a pretty big debate, but I, I would say in our case, I think every case is different, but in our case, it's not just about using technology to make wine, right? So let's put aside the fact that people weren't looking at chemistry for quality control decades ago, and now it's just everyone's doing it because yeah. it ensures that you're not risking multi million dollar batches of wine. If we put that aside, um, I would say it's not just about making a wine. I mean, are you opposed to the idea that, okay, it's very competitive in the wine market. There's a lot of labels. Consumers have a lot of choices. The playing field is not level, right? You have marketing budgets and brand recognition involved. and, And if you could use this to find the customers who are going to love your wine the most without a lot of trial and error, and you can get your business to be more successful quicker, why would you not do that? I mean, if it's available to you, why would you not do that, right? That's another side effect of this technology. So last last weekend, I went to a performance of a symphony orchestra in Italy. And I was musing over the fact that there were, I don't know, maybe close to 100 people on the stage, all playing different instruments. And they were playing some Beethoven. And I was just thinking about how it was even possible that Beethoven could figure out that this configuration of music at these tempos and and levels and things like that could wind up creating, you know, this amazing symphony. And I think of wine the same way. Wine has got all of these ingredients that if you put them together in a certain sort of kind of way, you get something really phantasmagorical. Fair? Is that fair to say? Yeah, very fair. So I think they're really similar in so many respects. But I'm thinking about, you know, the big producers, as an example, who are making millions of gallons of wine. And no matter whether you buy the wine in Minnesota or Washington State or, you know, some other place, it tastes exactly the same because it's so consistent. They were doing that before you came along. How did they accomplish that? And now, how are you able to help? Uh, how am I able to help them maintain their consistency? Exa- yes, exactly. Um, well, we can do it a lot faster and a lot cheaper. We can help them uh, get the same product, even though you know there's a different season and there's different fruit and you're working with different raw materials every yeah. year. I don't know if you want me to dive 
dive into the specifics of that, but we do do that. What we do more often than that is actually enable the winemaker to try something new without risk, without upsetting the current oh, customer. Base. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, that is super cool. Now, so we're going to have you on for a, a full show in the next week or so, but I just wanted to just take a minute to talk about what we're going to do. I brought three different Italian wines. They're varietals that most people in the States will not be familiar with. And in my opinion, they are just incredibly good. So you're going to break these things down, mm-hmm. right? And take a look at them. And then you're going to run them through. Can I, can I just say run them through your system? Or is that really being, yeah. a, is that oversimplifying? Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll analyze the line. Yeah. Okay. And then tell me what you'll be able to to tell me because this is a new producer, okay? Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the wines that they're producing are made using a methodology from 2000 years ago at the height of the Roman Empire. And and, and what makes this so fantastic is the idea that they're very very true to history and have chosen not to use any really modern technology to make these wines. Mm-hmm. And the wines are also aged and stored in terracotta amphoras. And what really makes that an interesting part of the equation is that the amphoras are made from the very same soil that the grapes are grown in. And that's not something that happens when you're aging an oak, right? So it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how something that is in every way, shape, and form historic, how it's going to measure up to, you know, the wines that we're mostly consuming today. Any thoughts? I would love to see what the data says, but I would say we certainly have to drink the rest of that bottle together in the office. (laughs) Right. Well, there's three of them. And there's that, oh, and one of them is a really delicious Cherisolo, which I don't know if you're familiar with them. Most people aren't, but it's like a rosé, basically. But it's a lot, it's a lot more robust. So we have one of those. And we have a Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, which is just this lovely, incredible, deep, beautiful red that you do not want to spill on your white jacket. (laughs) Right? And and then I've got a white that you're going to love. I don't think I'm going to tell you what it is, actually, because I I want you to tell me what you think it is, uh, you know, it compares most favorably too. So that'll be super interesting. So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to consume three bottles of wine. I'm going to drop the wine off in the next couple of days and you're going to, I guess, turn your troops loose on it. Your folks will do their magic and then the, how do, how do you, you know, finalize this? How do you tell me what the results are? Just hand me a report or do you sit me down and say, Mr. Wilson, we've got some bad news for you. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll show you, um, we have a dashboard. Okay. Um, it's a lovely dashboard and, um, we'll, we'll show you all the details on, okay. on the software. I'm not sure if we can, uh, well, I'll project it here. I, I don't know if we'll be able to project it on video or if you do that sort of thing, but okay, we can pull well, some we, we can try. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to have to go, Katarina. I'll see you in a couple of days. I'm glad we could do this little preview. Katarina Axelson, who is the founder, the brainchild behind Tastry, and look forward to meeting you in person just a couple of days. Likewise. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. And uh, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And make sure you stick with us over the next couple of weeks because we've got all kinds of surprises. Take care of yourselves.
Are you following Grape Encounters on social media yet? You're not? Well, you should be. It's the best way to hear the latest, juiciest, unfiltered wine stories. It's also the single best way to keep our unpretentious, decidedly different wine conversations going strong. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Grape Encounters. For tons of content on Facebook, you'll want to join our Grape Encounters radio group page. Or if LinkedIn is more your thing, connect with me by typing Grape Encounters Radio or Grape Encounters David in the search bar. Here's the deal. The more you click, the more I'll pour.